0: I'm Kyle McNulty, and you're listening to Secure Ventures, the show that follows cutting-edge founders in the cybersecurity space to understand their plights, glories, and revolutionary products. With me in this episode is Kunal Agarwal. Kunal is the CEO and founder of Dope Security, which is a secure web gateway platform focused on ease of deployment, ease of usage, and network performance improvements. Before Dope, Kunal worked in product management with Symantec and then Forcepoint. He founded Dope in 2021 with the goal of building a security tool practitioners truly love using. As Kunal describes it, a key part of that product's enjoyment is the ability for different features to integrate well with one another, something he says is often lost with enterprises acquiring young companies and bolting on their features. Dope raised its last round in March, led by Google Ventures, and is moving ahead with product enhancements that consider integration design from conception.
1: Kunal, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Good to to meet you and good to be
0: on. Yeah, looking forward to diving in here. So you got your undergraduate degree in computer science from UC Berkeley. And after school, my understanding is you went the more academic route. You were doing research at the university. Uh, I found an old website that you'd created that was about kind of Myers-Briggs tests for multiple people working together, two partners, and, and kind of testing that Maybe compatibility and how you lead with another person. Uh, am I on the right track with all this? Yeah, you've done a good job stalking me. Well done, Kyle. <laughs> so tell me a little bit then, as we we jump ahead to to Dope here. the The research was focused on this kind of dual leadership idea, and to my understanding, you're the solo founder of Dope, and I'm curious what uh what maybe lessons you learned from that whole experience and how you've applied that to your own leadership background and style
1: so the professor for that was uh a guy dan Mulhern. so i'm still very regular in touch with him and in fact he's pretty involved at the company as well so um and you know one of his big philosophies of course is you know leading by example leading this and giving that course at berkeley but as part of that we ended up doing a bunch of uh, research and building this website around it, um, me and a couple of other students. And that was really instrumental in, in, as a matter of fact, in our engineering team, right? In our product, we have two components. We have the cloud, and then we have the device endpoint, the software that's running under system. So actually, as a matter of fact, those are two separate engineering leaders, and they don't, they, they, they don't have like a, a, a head of engineering above them. They both just work together and they have a pair of leadership model. And as a matter of fact, they work with Dan a few times a month to make sure that they're doing the right things and becoming better leaders themselves. So it's been a big part of DOPE, as a matter of fact, uh, and building the culture. And as a matter of fact, making sure that the people that are not necessarily the folks that seek out the leadership or manager positions, those are actually the people that are the best managers. And uh, both these individuals, as a matter of fact, never really managed people in their previous careers, but they're doing such a great job now. Hmm. Can you unpack
0: that a little bit more? Uh, I think you touched on on a lot right there, but specifically that last piece around the folks who are the best managers or sometimes the people who don't even want to be managers. I mean, how is that something that you then go about kind of identifying in the different folks that uh, you might have internally within the company or even just hiring externally?
1: Yeah, so uh, starting with with how I've always worked on and products has been hands-on, right? So from a product management perspective is where I spent most of my career, but even just from a cybersecurity perspective, being hands-on is really, really important. And, you know, I was at very big companies, Symantec, Forest Point, you know, for 10 years and at these companies, there are a lot of mid-level managers and there's a lot of executives as well. And what I kind of began to notice is that there's these individuals that exist in the company that they usually would call them a technical architects or technical directors. Those were the folks that really knew how things worked. And they were the ones architecting and leading the team around them. And ultimately, in a lot of ways, they could be the managers themselves. And I mean, I'm proud that I've known Sunil. I mean, Sunil has known me since I was 21 years old, right? I mean, he's known me for a long time. And, uh, you know, he joined uh, day one. Tim has known me for many years, a couple of years at Forcepoint. And, uh, you know, he was not the leader for the team, but I felt there was such a big connection between me and him and me and Tanil, even though we worked completely separately. And those are both the guys that ended up, you know, leading the engineering team together as a paired leadership model. So pretty cool.
0: And so then thinking about that, that design of the paired leadership model, what have you seen in terms of some of the key benefits that have actually arisen from that? I mean, just as an example, right, there's been a lot of, I think, um, general, Distaste or uncertainty for like the kind of co-CEO positions that we've seen uh, just in in various public companies. And so applying that at the specific
1: engineering model, what are the the benefits that you've seen? So I I mean, we cannot comment on every company around the world. Everyone's different, right? And so for me, I I firmly believe that like if you're gonna go in and 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 be the leader for something, you should be able to do that task in some way yourself. Um, and the best part is, is that both these folks, they know their areas really, really well. Um, but rather than having someone above them that kind of just, you know, sits there and doesn't really get in the nitty gritty, like, Hey, that person, in, in a sense, I'm their partner in that manner. We both we, we all work together and we like come up with whether it's requirements or priorities or visions, whatever it is, we come up with that a lot of ways together. Um, and it gets built out like very, very direct. Format. If, as an example, I had someone underneath me that managed these two people, what would be the purpose of that person? Rather, let's have two people that can work very well together um, and become that. Um, in this case, it's kind of actually lessening uh, having too many people than having you know just a mid-level manager for no reason. Okay, and then you mentioned the the product management
0: piece and and some of your experience there. Obviously, that plays a role in terms of how you work with them as engineering leads as well. You mentioned Symantec and Forcepoint. I think Symantec you were at for like six years or something and Forcepoint almost two. What were some of the key qualities or skills that you think you took away from the product management role that you've applied to your role as CEO, as opposed to maybe the more traditional like CTO in terms of being the most focused on product?
1: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, my background is very technical, right? I w- went to Berkeley, did electrical engineering, and computer science. I've always been into cybersecurity since I was a little kid. But when you come to to, to getting into this world uh, where you're building a product, we had to learn on the job, right? So I worked really closely with, um, you know, at the time, my bosses who were heads of product management or sometimes you know heads of bis- business units and learned so much from them. In fact, I have an entire series going, which is like a Star Wars X dope security, where I have these guys basically talk about the tips and tricks that they used to teach me uh, because I, I, it's cool, right? I mean, I got this experience that nobody else did. I always tell people I went to UC Berkeley for undergrad, and then I went to University of California Symantec for uh, post-grad studies. So it's a bit of a, I got very, very lucky in terms of learning from really, really, really talented people. What about as far as like specific skills or lessons
0: that you learned? So for maybe working on some of the various Symantec products that you said, okay, here's one uh, maybe hard lesson that you discovered in your role as product manager that you were sure that you weren't going to make, let's say the same mistake at Dope in building that product.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest one that resonates with everything is having passion in what you build, right? Every single person in the team, they're very proud of what we've built at Dope. And that's the reason why it's called Dope Security, as a matter of fact, is because when you look and see something that you feel is great, you say, hey, that's dope. Um, and where I come from, that's what we say all the time, right? But when I think back to these worlds, there's a lot of people, um, and not everyone, right? I mean, a lot of our team members composed of people that used to be at Semantic or Forcepoint or other cybersecurity companies. What we see here is that the people that are passionate about what they do, that really enjoy it, and this is what they were kind of, in a way, born to do. That makes what Dope Security does very unique. Sure. So, I mean, walk me through a
0: little bit more this, this process of kind of feature selection and development then, right? Because I think what you're going to say is it goes hand in hand, but certainly there's features that engineers occasionally want to work on. It isn't necessarily what the customer needs most at that point, right? And so in terms of following that, that philosophy of, hey, let's build what's dope that could, I'm sure sometimes go against the kind of core focus of, hey, here's what our customers need right now, which is actually just like better API parsing, for example, which maybe is not the sexiest feature that someone can go ahead and build on. So what has your process been like for kind of ensuring engineers feel like they're working on things that they're excited about and that they are passionate about while also making sure that they're building what's important to the customer?
1: Well, it all stems from a vision, right? So when we build uh, uh, a technology, at least in in today, and the people that at least I work with uh, at Dope today, our goal has always been how do we have a high-level vision of what we're trying to build, kind of segment that out, and then see if what we're building today is in service of that. And a lot of the people that are in the team today, like we were kind of all been burned before about building things that customers don't want or that customers aren't really going to use. Um, in fact, so many of us, I mean, I would say at least 30 to 40% of us have been on the chopping block, on the on the riff lists because we weren't working on the stuff uh, that were making money or that was making money, that was making uh, noise, that was really important for customers. So everyone is very attuned to that for sure. So it might be a little bit of a different environment than most people have been in. I mean, I come from a very private equity world where almost everyone is always on the chopping block. So you can't really, uh, we have never really looked at it the same way like that.
0: Can you give an example of one of those times where you were working on something that
1: ended up being kind of deprioritized? Yeah, um, of course, right? Like Symantec was acquired by uh, Broadcom, right? So pretty much if you were not working on data loss prevention, semantic endpoint protection, or... Uh, the proxy, uh, basically proxy SG slash web security service or one of the ant, like kind of and kind of similar-ish products, um, like a good example would have been CASB. Uh, then you were basically put into a maintenance mode and your products and your engineering team were putting the maintenance mode and the team was either going to get cut or reprioritized to a different product area and then eventually be cut. So when we think about it like that, that world has kind of, it kind of goes into your blood a little bit. And so when we learn from that, is a look, you want to be building something that customers can really use. And the fact of the matter uh, was that, you know, as much as it sounds bad, like that Broadcom mentality wasn't a bad mentality. It's like, hey, look, you're doing 20 different things, but you're actually technically really good at three. Just do those three things. And I think like the word that was used, like franchise businesses, and that's what we want dope security to be as well as a franchise business. We're building like a very mainstream cybersecurity product that can be used by, you know, the majority of organizations around the world. And it's not really a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Like, when do people want to move from this old legacy way of thinking into a newer, more modern architecture that has a beautiful user experience and that has all the uh, goodness of what makes it dope? So tell me a little bit more about
0: the the origin story then, because again, you were working as a product manager, you had this exposure to all these various customers, uh, kind of understanding what their different pain points are and uh, what solutions existed to them to an extent. And, and maybe what, like, for example, most recently, Forcepoint could potentially um, adapt in order to better meet their use cases. What was it that you
1: saw that said, hey, it's time to, to go out and build something else? Well, I was always inspired by companies like Silence and CrowdStrike and whatnot that were uh, there or even uh, Carbon Black, for example, because I'll never forget like this whole war room that was created inside of Symantec or, uh, at at the time. I think it was like 2015, 16. And the whole challenge was that these uh, competitors had built this ML technology in the device, in the software, and everyone else was pretty much reliant on like content updates from the cloud and not to say that one was better than the other but ultimately the demo was very simple they'd take an old malware they'd take an old sort of version of asian and they'd be like look we can detect it and so the demo was beautiful and for me it was a big inspirational moment because if i was ever to go back and can do it again i was like hey we'll create something called dope security and we'll go in and we'll completely crush these old endpoint. B-. and that didn't come to pass obviously because you know it is what it is that had already been done and uh and and what but then, you know, after this Blue Code acquisition and, and, and when I went to WebSense, I'd gone with actually one of my bosses who taught me so much, Nico, uh, Nico Pop. So he and I joined Forcepoint together. We actually left Forcepoint together and learned a lot about these proxies, right? And how many different proxies, I mean, Forcepoint had like five proxies. Now they have six proxies. They have so many proxies there. And it's not one. I mean, there's six different products that do six different types of things there. And if you really think about it, uh, we wanted to to you know make it easy for a customer to adopt and that was my job as a as a product leader Um, and and product manager you want to make your product as as fitting to the customer use cases and what i found is that we would get support tickets every day every single day and i sucked right i mean i remember going to one customer and mind you this isn't even like really my product at the time i was just helping another PM and, and I ended up falling to me, but I was like talking to the customer and this guy was completely silent. And I was like, I don't know how to help you. We can't fix your problem. And they were like really upset because they've spent two, 300,000 a year and it sucks. Right. I mean, as a customer, you're like, I'm just trying to get this fixed. And you guys have really not made it any easier. And so I kind of like took that idea to heart. And, you know, you think about it and you're like, wow, this is how everybody works. You look at Zincaler, Semantic, Forest Point, Cisco Umbrella, Netscope, they all work the same way. And for me, let's do something different, right? And that's where we came up with the, with the idea for Dope Security. And what was it fundamentally that kept them from
0: being able to actually change and resolve those different issues that you mentioned? Why could they not solve the issue for the customer that was paying two hundred
1: dollars to $300,000? I mean, in, in that particular case, it came down to mm, the mechanism of how cloud application controls work, right? Like you had to take certain URLs and redirect them somewhere else. And the proxy just wasn't able to do a wild card redirect, which it just, I mean, that's an uber technical way of saying that there was an integration problem between two disparate products that happened to be two different companies at some point in time. And there was no way they were going to integrate together. And the customer was sold something that would never work. Um, and I'll never forget. In fact, our product works beautifully. You just press a check box and you hit save and that's it you're done. And it does the exactly same thing that that customer was trying to do. And we did that specifically so that somebody who comes along with that use case, we've taken care of the hard work for them. But I think it really, I mean, it comes back to what we were saying earlier is that our goal as a company is to take care of this and make the customer's life easier.
0: In terms of thinking then about that that differentiation piece and, and making the customer's life easier, the example that you just provided is around kind of integrating some of these different feature sets under a single platform that maybe in name are under the same company in some of these other products, but don't have that kind of tight integration that you would expect of two products under the same banner. I mean, what were the other like pieces of differentiation then in terms of making the, the modern secure web gateway that. Is easy to use and easy to integrate beyond just like we attached disparate feature sets
1: into one model. Well, beyond the products just not working that well, that's like a separate thing entirely. Like UX, very, 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 very important. But if you think about it, every single secure web gateway out there, like you cannot just go in and try it. You can't just go into the website and say, hey, I want to go and try this. In fact, most cybersecurity software. You can't just go to the website and say, hey, I want to go in and test this out right now. And if you think about that for a second, you're like, hmm, that's not that great. <laughs> Maybe that could be a little bit better. Um, but most importantly, is the architecture. So if you're familiar with this area of cybersecurity, essentially what it is, is it's a set of parental controls for your employees. You're like blocking unwanted, phishing, malicious, adult content, piracy, illegal websites from being accessed from your employees' devices. And it's super fundamental because you might have something that protects you from anti-malware, some, some, some virus on your system, but you also want to make sure that people aren't accessing the wrong things. For example, I don't want someone to access their personal Gmail on their work laptop. Simple example. And so, uh, you know, if we really think about it, like what we've done is just do what has been done for two decades a little bit better. So I'll give you a simple example, right? Now, if you were going to take an airplane flight from San Francisco to Los Angeles, would you stop over in New York for a security check? Maybe not, Kyle. That would make no sense. (laughs) So that's actually exactly what everybody makes you do, right? They take your traffic from your device and they reroute it or backhaul it to their data center. Um, Like this is what Zscaler does, for example. And when it gets backhauled there, it gets processed, SSL inspected, filtered, et cetera. And then it goes to its destination. And to be fair, like this sort of works, but it's not that reliable. If the data center goes down, your internet is completely out. Um, Your performance takes a hit. Uh, You know, it doesn't support the latest and greatest like HTTP2, etc., etc. I mean, there's a lot of things there. And ultimately, our whole thing was like, well, why would you stop over if you could fly direct to your destination and ultimately similar-ish to how they brought the AI ML part of the anti-malware back in the day to the endpoint. What if we did that except did it with the URL filtering and the secure, the secure web gateway elements and did it on the device itself? It makes your life so much easier. Um, all your performance problems go away, your reliability problems go away, all those support tickets that I have checking in my head, like they all go away.
0: So you've mentioned a few different points of differentiation here, right? You mentioned the user experience in terms of just a much sleeker UI, obviously a much more modern platform designed with that that dope customer experience in mind. You talked about just the integration points and the feature set being all under kind of the same umbrella. So everything just kind of works as it's supposed to. And you also mentioned this performance piece that's caused by the whole fly direct model, as opposed to the, the various stopovers. I mean, when you think about all those different elements, which is the one that customers actually care about most? Because there's so many companies that are working on the the legacy model with lower performance. And, and for any of those aspects, you could say, hey, there's a bunch of companies that are still getting by with that old model. Uh, so what is it of those three that really
1: causes people to switch to dope when they're already using something today? So there is one of my Professors, let's call them at Symantec, that always used to say, Kunal, people are only going to switch if they're pissed off or if they're going to save money, right? I mean, that's the only really reason why. And for us, we always tell people, it's like, hey, four times the performance, a quarter of the total cost of ownership because it's way easier to manage, way easier to deploy. The MSRP is less. Like, I mean, we're even transparent about our pricing. Um, And it's really just overall made." main for people that are the buyers, right? For a long time, these products were just, you know, the things that you had to purchase, but if you have to purchase them, why not make your experience as good as possible? And I'm pretty proud to say that, like I said, everyone in the company and everyone in the team we tried our best to make it work well. I mean, right now, I could guarantee you that if you have your own Secure Ventures domain, uh, you could sign up and install the agent on your system and by the way, if you're using a Mac, it will still work. <laughs> Believe it or not, you know, most of these cybersecurity technologies don't work properly on Mac. And that's great. In a few minutes, you can have a secure web gateway up and running on your own. And you'll never find any of our competitors ever be able to do that. So huh. you're harping on this kind of ease
0: of deployment piece again. You mentioned the the instant demo opportunity. I know I've had this conversation on, on the show a couple of times in the past about this, this kind of instant demo concept as a key differentiator. I mean, every time I hear this, my first thought is how hard can it really be for other competitors to kind of follow suit and make this instant demo available, right? And like, what is the, the kind of sustainable advantage that you get from something like that? So what is your perspective on that? Is this something that you really think that these other companies, if they prioritize that in the roadmap, they just aren't going to be able to make that work from an architecture standpoint? Uh,
1: what are well, your thoughts? We tried pretty hard. We tried pretty hard and both semantic and forth. It's much, it's much easier said than done, right? So like, first off, just the general process of creating a tenant in these environments is like, is it a pre-prod tenant? Is it a prod tenant? What's the process around that? Like getting that tenant created? I mean, there's a reason why those are not the case. I mean, it's not like, I would not say this is universal, right? I mean, if you go to certain cybersecurity technologies, you're you're made to be able to get up and running very quickly without having to talk to someone. But uh, in our case, as an example, yeah, I mean, it's very rare because you can't just go in and start creating things really, nilly They have a validation process and this, and I mean, there's a lot of things involved to the point where it's literally just comes down to like a, a ticket and goes in and says, hey, we have a POC running for this customer. Could you go in and create the tenant and then there's like an email validation link that's sent to them i mean that onboarding process we've completely simple. you log in like you're logging in via facebook right you log in using google or microsoft and then you have access to the product and like who would have thunk it right i mean you just go in and you do that and it's so easy i mean i remember when we were doing this like there was like this concern in the back of my head um, and one of my colleagues, Gary, he was actually my first boss at Symantec. You know, I talk to him all the time. He's such a, he's such a great pragmatic engineering leader. He's retired now, but um, he's taught me a lot. And he always says like, yeah, but all you know, like, I guess, do you care if they're not using Office 365 or Google? And I'm like, you know, at Forcepoint or Symantec, we would have cared all a lot because that would have been the biggest problem. But here, Why do we care? If you're not using 365 or Google, do we really want to sell it to you? Um and And it's worked great for us so far because you make these decisions, and ultimately they're product management decisions, and you gotta go in and um and be pragmatic about it and be practical, but also build it uh really, really well. And I think that's what we've tried to do uh with dope make it dope <laughs> and and
0: thinking about the the product suite that you're kind of putting together, right? you mentioned, hey, we wanted to. In some ways model what silence had done for endpoint in terms of bringing these kind of new technical capabilities to a long-standing problem now one of the things that comes to mind to me when i think about the kind of feature set of secure web gateways in terms of restricting access to various domains and, and sites and and kind of having that um, that filtering that's being performed is the applicability of other kind of newer concepts within Security. So, like secure browsers, for example, where you could, in theory, do a lot of those capabilities within the browser itself and then kind of eliminate the need for a secure web gateway to begin with, right? Now, I'm sure you'll push back against that in several ways. But I'm curious what are your thoughts in terms of taking the secure web gateway model and refining it as opposed to trying a newer technology platform entirely that might be able to address those kind of underlying problems? I mean, I
1: think every company is different, right? Like I said earlier, you can't take one model and move it amongst everyone. If we look at a secure browser as an example, hey, you have an enterprise browser, there's companies out there that are using this, and if they find the value and they're able to go in and, and solve their use cases with it, hey, all power to them, right? Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but by all means, if you know they want to use our technology and use it, on our you know to solve their use cases for us that's that's great as well um i think it's not really like a zero-sum game cyber security right you have to use what makes sense for you as an organization like i can tell you right now like you know like a 20 30 or 50 percent organization probably not going to be using like an enterprise browser you know what i mean um like if i came to um you know a a, a 20 10 person company that's just like getting up and running like they won't even have mdm let alone a anti-malware solution, like a CrowdStrike or something, or even us. Like, it's just not practical, right? So there's different areas where it makes more sense. I mean, I think one area that everyone should be using, for example, a single sign-on, right? Some sort of good identity and access management solution. I mean, it's like a bare minimum, if you think about it. But if it's usable, it's usable, right? I mean, that's at least practical for a company that size. So you're getting into this piece
0: about the Kind of target customer. And you already alluded to a little bit this idea that, hey, we've reduced the total cost of ownership by 4x. And uh, that's ultimately going to be one of these drivers for a company to switch products is that lower cost. Now, when I hear that, I think maybe the target customers that are like the, the true um, major whales in the cybersecurity space are not the ones that you're going to lure in with that argument, right? And you mentioned this maybe dope appeals more to Some of those 50 person companies uh, that aren't ready for like the enterprise browser model and so i'm tying a lot of different pieces together from what you've said so far but i'm curious to hear your thoughts on what you really do consider your kind of target customer profile and how you think about expanding that over time to address some of those larger enterprises that are maybe more reticent to switch
1: just for lower switching or lower costs Yeah, we have customers of all shapes and sizes, right? And there's always the edge cases, right? We have customers that have like 10 or 20 or 30 devices. And then you have customers that have tens of thousands of devices. But I mean, the sweet spot ends up being around 500 to 5,000 devices is typically what we see. It just depends on which customer it is. It depends on like what their use cases are, obviously. Uh, But I mean, I, I I will say it's been a really like, for us, we built this product in mind for anyone that wants to use this technology. So whether you're a huge company or you're a small company, you should be able to use it just the same. This is not like, hey, you have to have professional services to go in and use it or that you need to have a PhD in the product to go in and use it. We have like one customer, for example, um, you know, CISO there, he always mentions like I took someone fresh out of college. They could get up and running with dope security immediately. They didn't have to have training or anything like that. So that makes a difference to our customers. And I think that makes a difference to, I think, people out there as well. It's like, hey, how do you make things easier to use while accomplishing the same use cases?
0: Yeah. And you mentioned this idea of, hey, anyone who wants to use this technology. So basically anyone who has these kind of problems that you're describing, and it could be a company of really any size, like you mentioned, right, in terms of that, that kind of device
1: range, Imagine like a private equity company, for example, or a venture capital firm, I mean, they're going to have to have these cybersecurity technologies in place, but it, you know, it just depends on who you are. If you're just a new startup, venture startup, but just got fresh funding, maybe, you know, there's a different order in which you want to go in and do it. I wouldn't say, I would never recommend, Hey, go and use Dope Security first. I would say, Hey, first off, like make sure you have the right email solution. And then from there, work backwards from there. <laughs>
0: sure. And so then how do you think about what your your real target customer profile is, right? Because you mentioned, hey, this works for a lot. But then when you think about your like, go-to-market efforts in terms of getting dope in front of more people, uh, whether it's at a conference or otherwise, who's that, that core group that you're like, ah, this is exactly who we want to tell about dope so they know that we're out there because we think they need it most?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think most customers that we talk to uh, they will either have a solution or be looking for a solution just because there's a gap in their environment. So we've been very fortunate to work with lots of resellers and, you know, bars and and partners that are helping not only take the product to market, but also vouch for the way the product and technology works. What we've built is, it is a fundamental part of of, of someone's uh, end, endpoint security stack and just cybersecurity in general. So it's like, there's always a trust factor that's there. We've tried to build with integrity, build with, like we said earlier, passion so that people feel the trust necessary to say, hey, let's go in and use this technology rather than something that's been around for a decade.
0: And so back to the, the product piece, then you mentioned this architecture of the, the fly direct model, which leads to all these different performance and kind of reliability improvements, uh, which is a core piece of what makes DOPE different. I'm curious, as you think about the next couple of years ahead here, are there any more kind of fundamental features within the the DOPE platform and then also just the secure web gateway model that you're hoping to introduce to the market to say, hey, not only is the architecture better, but we can also do X, Y, and Z because we've spent the engineering time on thinking about these features that are actually important to you?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. We always looked at it as like a three-part journey, right? Like if you think about part one, secure web gateway, part two is CASB, and part three is private access. So it's like a trilogy, right? Star Wars trilogy. So a new SWIG, CASB strikes back and return of the Private access. So very simple. Uh, I mean, we're founded on May 4th, so it's, uh, May 4th, uh, may, may the fourth be with you, but, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of set of capabilities that have traditionally never really been built together. I wouldn't say that they've never been like, yeah, you know, kind of created or bundled together or pushed together or packaged together, because that has happened, but we really have spent a lot of time trying to make sure that this is built together. So it's all very easy for someone to consume, uh, especially for, for someone who doesn't want to have the complications that you typically run into by having a, mul- a single vendor, multi-product kind of thing, where it's not really one uh, one thing, multiple features. Right. And I think that last piece that you
0: just mentioned ties together well, what you mentioned early on as well, right? Where you're saying, hey, we want to build out these other feature sets and, and kind of products under the broader DOPE platform, but we want to build those out in mind, the integration components rather than just building it and then bolting it on, uh, which was one of the issues that you ran into with Symantec and, and Forcepoint, Right. So I'm curious then, how do you think about maybe limitations with acquisitions based off of that kind of philosophy? Obviously, you're still fairly early in your journey. It's been, what, almost two and a half years at this point since uh, you guys were, were founded back in in early 2021, May 4th, like you mentioned. Uh, so again, what is your maybe just longer term acquisition philosophy based off of what you just described in terms of the importance of that integration and kind of building together?
1: Uh Like for us to be acquired or for us to acquire someone else? What do you mean exactly?
0: Yeah, I did mean for you to acquire someone else. uh, But I guess it also applies in part as you think about the kind of feasibility of dope being acquired by someone else, uh, where maybe you think that, hey, this feels like doing a disservice to the customer because we recognize that our platform maybe can't be used uh, to the utmost of that initial vision if it's just bolted on with some other product.
1: Yeah, I mean for us as an organization, we if we were to acquire someone or strategically acquire someone, it's always gonna be about how does it fit into the, the larger dope story. I think like the way it worked really well or the companies that have done it very well is really spend a lot of time making sure that it, it is core to what someone is doing and it is part of that. Uh versus it being something completely separate. And now two things disparately have to be integrated together. Um, and sometimes, yeah, it does make sense to see why, or what are we trying to accomplish here? Palo Alto is a really great example of this, right? They acquire lots of different things. Um, but you know, the majority of the business still comes from the, uh, you know, their NGFWs. Yeah. Super fair. So not,
0: obviously this is kind of what I expected, not opposed to acquisitions but just being very mindful of kind of how that uh would fit into the broader dope
1: positioning and and integrating with the feature set so yeah i mean to be clear like we have no intention to be acquired at all right that's not our intention um you know whether we acquire someone else that's much 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 further down the road as we've only been around for two three years um but we're very much like Hardwired into the whole dope mentality, right? Going in and going to a big company is not something that I have in my uh, bingo card group, right? So it's uh, definitely looking looking forward to the the this is the year or two of a ten year journey, right, Kyle? Yep, yep. Very fair. So
0: ceremonial last question here for you before we wrap up: Are you currently looking for
1: investment or hiring? So. Most of our hiring is kind of complete for the the you know foreseeable future. And funding wise, we have this great thing from Google Ventures. So Sangin who's a GP over there, he's the one that led it. You know, he's been amazing, uh, helping on you know just being a good I would say a good colleague if anything. Right, coming in helping where it's needed and also not helping where it's not needed. Right. So um, you know, we always look t- towards him. So not really anything on the funding side or on the uh, or on the uh, other side as well, hiring front. But you know, it's, it's going to be a great next couple of years. You know, we have a really, really strong team of people that are just trying to prove themselves, right? You know, we were the same people that were building these technologies at these big companies or selling these technologies, to these same companies. But like, I mean, I'll give you a quote from our head of sales in Europe, Asif, like he was like, you know, could I'll never forget when we lost a deal because we didn't support Mac correctly. I mean, that sucked. He lost a million dollar deal. Uh, It ended up being like a 3 million TCV just because we didn't support Mac. And honestly, our technology can do everything that he needed. So for him, this is like the perfect, perfect uh, opportunity to like go in and sell and build a great business. And the same thing goes for anyone that that it works here, right? We're really proud that everyone really likes what they do and can go in and, and do something that they weren't able necessarily able to do before. Yeah. Awesome well really appreciate the time
0: Kunal. it's interesting to hear the the perspective and, and kind of ethos around the whole dope model and 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 uh, just what that kind of means for the the broader industry as well right I think not taking yourselves too seriously uh, but building something that the customers really care about um, and that solves this issue that that you've experienced firsthand so appreciate all the the perspectives and and um, yeah just experiences that you shared
1: yeah, appreciate it as well and uh, hope to catch you again soon or in person if you're ever here in the Bay. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can
0: subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can write to me at kyle at secureventures.io. I'm Kyle McNulty and you've been listening to Secure Ventures.